Thank you for joining me for worship today. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. That's the bridge Sunday between Epiphany, the season when we think of Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of the world, and the Lenten season as we focus on our Savior's passion, his heading to the cross to suffer and die for us. But for our Transfiguration Sunday today, we'll use the order of service that's in the bulletin. We'll sing to open our service, hymn number 369, Beautiful Savior. sinful. I have disobeyed you and justly deserve your punishment both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for the evil 
I have thought, spoken, and done. And for the sake of my Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. I now ask you before God who searches the heart, do you confess your sins of thought, word, and deed? Are you sorry for your sins? Do you look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, for forgiveness? And with the Holy Spirit's help, do you want to correct your sinful life? Then declare so by saying, yes. Yes. Upon this confession, I, as a called servant of the word, announce to you God's grace and the forgiveness of sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. for this Transfiguration Sunday is from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. In these verses, the Apostle Peter recalls what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of the, our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard his voice, this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Alleluia. In his word, God the Father is still saying to us, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Alleluia. Alleluia. is from Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 to 9. Matthew's account of the day of transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, 
a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Let's sing our next hymn, hymn number 95, How Good Lord to Be Here. Transfiguration Sunday is from Exodus chapter 24 verses 12 and 15 to 18. We could say that this reading prefigures or gives us a type of the transfiguration when we see Moses getting some of the glory of God. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on, on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. 
my dear fellow believers in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. At Niagara, the American Falls take a dizzy leap, we could say, as they fall, oh, about 160 feet to the, to the jagged rocks below the falls. Between the face of the falls and the thousands of tons of water that are going over that fall, it's interesting that there is this place that is called the Cave of the Winds. And it's an interesting place. If you were to visit the American Falls, what you could do is you could go there to this Cave of the Winds. And what would happen is that tour guides would, well, they'd get you dressed up in these rubber suits. And then what would happen is the tour guides would go before and you would follow them as you're going in between face of the falls and this water that's coming pouring down. And it's a dangerous kind of tricky place as long unless you stay in the cave of the winds. There you can be completely, perfectly safe. And that's because, well, the water's coming over. It's falling down onto the jagged rocks below, but you're away from it or jagged rocks, and from the tons of water that's coming down. You're safe and you're protected. But if you were down there by the jagged rocks, you'd be crushed to death. And so you get this, this amazing picture in that cave of the winds. You see this dangerous sight, the tons of water that's coming crashing down. And yet you see this beautiful image of the water coming down like it is. In a sense, what we're doing today is we're looking at a similar picture as it was true for the Niagara Falls that, that it really just depends on where you're standing. The picture that you get, it could be that dangerous picture, it could be that beautiful picture, and well, at we get the same picture of our God. We get that same picture of our God. But instead of having a dangerous and beautiful picture of our God, a dangerous and beautiful picture like we see of the Niagara Falls, what we see in our reading for today is we see that our Lord is a consuming, gracious fire. The two sides of God. And how we see God really depends on where we stand spiritually as far as our God is concerned. When the Israelites at Mount Sinai saw the glory of the Lord, to them it seemed like a consuming fire, it says. A very fearful picture. But the Lord isn't just a consuming fire, thankfully. Our Lord is a consuming fire gracious fire, a consuming gracious fire which, well, brings fear through the law but provides cleansing through the gospel. The children of Israel had 
just a little bit before this, been freed from their slavery in Egypt, and they were on their trek heading from Egypt to the Promised Land. They were heading to the Promised Land, and more than 400 years had passed since Jacob and his sons had joined Joseph down there in Egypt at that time of almost a worldwide famine. But the Israelites had gone more than 400 years before this down to Egypt and lived there and did that because of a famine. And well, while they were in Egypt, the Lord blessed the children of Israel so that that nation grew to perhaps two to two and a half million people. God richly blessed them and well, now they were freed from their slavery in Egypt and it's about three months after they had left Egypt that they came to Mount Sinai, the scene of our reading for today. There what God did is God gave the Israelites many laws to govern their lives and prior to his giving those laws to the people, the Lord had said to the people, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. The Israelites altogether responded to that, we will do everything the Lord has said. From Bible history though, we know that the Israelites couldn't and wouldn't end up doing everything that the Lord had said. They grumbled and complained. They rebelled against God. Their downfall is foreshadowed when they said those words, we will do everything the Lord has said. No person, none of us is able to do everything that the Lord has said. That's because we're the sinful human beings that we are. Perhaps the Israelites should have instead something like, well, God, we hear what you're saying, but God, you need to help us because we can't possibly do what you're asking of us on our own. Well, what happened then is that the Lord gave the people the Ten Commandments and the civil law which governed their lives as Israelite citizens, their government laws. And after giving those laws, what God did is he summoned Moses to come up to Mount Sinai, to ascend Mount Sinai, so that he could give them, give him the two tablets of stone on which the, the moral law, the Ten Commandments were written, and so that he could also give them laws and rules and regulations concerning their worship and, and information concerning the tabernacle, their temporary, their portable temple that they would use for many years. When Moses ascended Mount Sinai, the Lord in a pillar of cloud, and that was the form that the Lord used when he was guiding the people through the wilderness, in that form of a pillar of a cloud, what God did is he covered the mountain. In our reading it says, the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. And that glorious scene we could say was kind of similar to, to Christ's transfiguration. 
that was in our gospel reading for today. Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John with him to the Mount of Transfiguration. We don't know what exactly, which mountain that exactly was. But he took them there, and it was first off some time to pray. And then Jesus was transfigured. Then Jesus took upon himself some of the glory that was his as true God. As Jesus was transfigured, what happened then is that Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. Those Old Testament prophets appeared and they were there to give Jesus a pep talk to encourage him as he would head toward the cross and head toward the climax of his work of saving us from our sins. And then God the Father showed his approval of Jesus and his work when in that voice from heaven he said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus and those three disciples were, were so greatly blessed through this event. They were so strengthened through this event. And well, all of us really need to think about Christ's transfiguration often because that transfiguration, what it reminds us is that Jesus wasn't just a man, he was the God-man, he was true God and able to be our Savior. And here we also get to see a glimpse of Christ's glory, of God's glory. Glory that one day through faith we'll be able to see forever in heaven. When we would feel down in the dumps, and that tends to happen an awful lot in this sinful world. Well, when we would feel down in the dumps, then it's a good time for us to think about the transfiguration and think of the glory of God and think of our Savior and who he really is. That would really cheer us up as it did Jesus as he was preparing for his mission. And the disciples, although at this point in time they were still confused about what was really going on with that transfiguration, but you heard the Apostle Peter in our in our epistle reading, talking about how he saw that and what strengthening that did for him and for his faith. Well, we can't actually see the transfiguration like Peter, James, and John did, like Jesus did. But the fact of the matter is, is that we can read about what happened. And as we read the story of the transfiguration, you know, God's going to strengthen us and build us up as he did those disciples on the day of transfiguration. Well, when Moses ascended Mount Sinai, our reading says, to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. It made the Israelites afraid. It reminded them of God's holiness, his majesty and his power. It reminded them that God wanted them to be perfect, that he had said, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. And that made them afraid, understandably made them afraid. And I often compare that scene at Mount Sinai, it's a, maybe not the greatest or the perfect comparison, 
But I compare that scene at Mount Sinai with them being afraid of God and looking at him like a consuming fire with that first scene in The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy, the scarecrow, the tin man, and the lion appear before the Wizard of Oz. And if you remember that scene, you know that the Wizard of Oz, he appears in that instance as this scary, this awesome being that made Dorothy and her friends just absolutely scared to death. And, well, they had a fear or respect for the wizard. And, well, it was good for Israel also to have a fear and a respect for our God. That respect, that fear of God, it helps to keep us in line to have a fear of breaking God's law. The fear or respect that children have for their parents helps them also in a way to encourage them to, to behave. They need that reminder that mom and dad aren't just friends and buddies, but they're parents and they're over them. Parents need to command a respect from their children and if children learn that their parents are only going to threaten them with punishment for when they do wrong, then, then children will tend to not respect and not honor their parents. They may come to disrespect their parents and other figures of authority. Well, God said, he who spares the rod of discipline hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. God gives us his law because he wants us to know he means business when he says thou shalt and thou shalt not. He wants us to know that he really does hate sin and that he is going to expect that sin be paid for. He doesn't want us to feel that it's okay to sin. Or he doesn't want us to think that somehow or other what God's going to do is he's just going to say, oh, well, it's okay, and overlook our sin. Rather, what God wants us to do is to respect him and look to him for his help to better follow his will in our lives. Tragically, what's the case in our world today is that people don't respect God even though they should have this fearful picture of God. They don't respect God and think, well, my sinful nature says the same thing too. I can do what I want. Instead of understanding that God is God and he has the right to tell us his will. Fortunately, though, the law isn't all of God's teaching. If it were, boy, we'd, we'd be in a lousy situation. We'd have to despair because we recognize that we can't keep God's law like we should. But fortunately, God's teaching also includes the gospel. God's law, it is a glorious teaching. It's God's word. It's a glorious teaching. But to us who by the grace of God believe, 
who believe in Jesus. You know, the gospel, it's a much more glorious teaching. The law, it is, as it's described here, as a consuming fire. It tells us that if we sin, we will be condemned. The gospel, on the other hand, is, is instead not the consuming fire, but a cleansing fire, a cleansing fire, a purifying fire. It tells us what God did to save us from our sins. It cleanses us, it purifies us as fire burns the impurities out of something like silver or gold. Our text, in a sense, when you look at it, it may seem as if it's all law, but really it isn't. Throughout these verses, what we can recognize is that the name that is used for God in these verses is the name, the Lord. And that's such a beautiful name for our God because, because that beautiful name for God, it stands for the fact that God is a God of justice and grace, that he is a God who hates sin and demands punishment for sin, but then also loves us so much that he gave us Jesus to be our savior and our way to eternal life. This God, the Lord, is the one who gave us the law in the first place to show us our sin, to show us that we need help, and actually, just think about how blessed we are that God has given us his law so that we see the problem. So that we see the problem. So that we see how much we need help, how much we need Jesus, our Savior. Well, the Lord graciously called Moses into his presence. Moses wasn't called into the presence of God because he was less of a sinner than any of the other Israelites. He was a sinner just like all of them, just like you and me. But God graciously called him into his presence and that just, that just gives us this wonderful picture of our God of grace and mercy. Likewise, when the Holy Spirit calls us to faith, when he makes us believing children of God, what he does is he calls us into God's presence when he calls us to faith. We don't deserve that call. We don't deserve to be in God's presence. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. But God loves us. But God loves us. And don't you just love to hear those words? God loves you. Unfortunately, those are words that we may take for granted or may, maybe we just don't fully comprehend what it means that God loves us when really he should hate us because of our sin. But God loves us. Do we ever consider where we'd be if God didn't love us? but he does love us, and so let's treasure that love. Moses tells us that the Israelites thought that the glory of the Lord on Mount Sinai, that it looked like a consuming fire. When scripture refers to the glory of God as it does here, it's describing 
a picture of God, an image of his glory, of what God is all about. And when we hear it talking about the glory of God here, we want to think about our Lord's burning determination to carry out his gospel promise so that sinners like you and me could be with our Savior, be with our God forever in heaven. It's only through faith that we can see the glory of God, not just as a consuming fire, but also as a cleansing fire through the gospel. Oh, what a blessing it is to see the glory of the Lord as that cleansing fire. Oh, maybe think again of that picture of Dorothy and the tin man and the lion and the scarecrow seeing the Wizard of Oz. If you remember that first scene where they're in the presence of the wizard, that was a scary scene. It was a scary scene. However, at the end of the movie, what ended up happening is we can recall that the, the wizard wasn't someone to really be afraid of as they originally thought. The wizard was someone who was ready to do whatever he could to try to help out Dorothy and his friends. The Lord, the wizard was ready to do everything, but our Lord, he's something so much better, of course, than the wizard. When you look at the wizard in the Wizard of Oz, he was ready to do everything, but all he could do is take Dorothy back to Kansas in the movie, of course. But our Lord, he's not weak like the wizard actually was. He's the Almighty God. He's able to pay for all of our sins. And he wants to take us home to be with him forever in heaven. Our Lord, he is a consuming, gracious fire. But how we see him really depends, as I said earlier, on where we stand spiritually. And in a sense, we could say that God is kind of like Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls, you can have that scary picture, you can have that beautiful, amazing picture. You can have that dangerous, that beautiful picture. But when we think of our God, well, there's the dangerous and the beautiful, if you want to think about it. For the unbeliever, the tragic thing is, is that the only thing that the unbeliever can see about God is the fact that he's that consuming fire. That he says sin is wrong. And that sin must be paid for. And the only way that sinful human beings can pay for their sins is, is with eternal punishment. And then they never will get their sins paid for. But thank God that you and I, by the grace of God, are believing children of God. Yeah, we can look at God and see that consuming fire. We can know that God hates sin and demands that sin be paid for. But we also see him as that gracious fire. The gracious fire who sent his son to live and die for us, to pay for all of our sins so that we can be absolutely certain of heaven. We know that Jesus, God's Son, is 
our Savior, and the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. So let's never stop thanking God for where we stand spiritually. Then, yeah, we can see that God hates sin. We need to remember that. We need to look to God for his help to fight against sin. But then we also are so blessed to be able to look at God and know his grace and love. Know that he loves us so much that he gave us Jesus. And he gave us Jesus so that we can be with him forever in heaven. Amen. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, before the suffering and death of your one and only Son, you revealed his glory on the holy mountain. Grant that we who bear his cross on earth may behold by faith the light of his heavenly glory and so be changed into his likeness. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Since Monday's shootings at MSU, we've been processing what happened, and it was a tragic event. It was tragic that young people were killed and severely injured. It's tragic that the perpetrator would kill others and himself. It's tragic what MSU and, and all of us are enduring because of that shooting that got so close to home. Such events, which are all too common today, remind us that we live in a sinful world, and it will remain that way this side of Judgment Day. So let's keep on praying for all those who were affected by this tragedy. Pray. 
Lord God, Heavenly Father, please keep all of us in your loving care. Thank you for giving us Jesus, who we believers know is the answer to all the problems caused by sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And we continue to keep in our prayers oh, all the people in our prayer list dealing with different problems and troubles. We pray for Don Janicki dealing with the stroke yet, continues to deal with that. Deb Spitzley, heart and kidney issues. Paula Burris, leg issues, infection, circulation problems. Mary Glassbrook, recuperating following a knee replacement surgery. And, and we also think of Jan Camp, uh, Karen Ripley's friend who's dealing with cancer. We pray, Lord God, when we think of these people in our extended church family, we, we would pray and ask you to please, if it's according to your will, grant healing, grant your strength. But especially, we always keep on saying, please keep on giving your grace and your mercy and your love so that they can see the gracious and loving side of our God and the forgiveness of sins. Help all of us to see that grace and love of our God. And we gather up all of the prayers we have today as we join in praying. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Let's join in singing our prayer for our country. God bless America. Land that I love, stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above, from the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my home, sweet home. God bless America, my home, sweet home. Again, thank you for joining me for worship today. Just a couple of announcements to share with you right now. Monday and Tuesday, I'll be gone at a pastor-teacher conference in, at Zion Lutheran Church in Monroe, Michigan. Monday night, there will be a choir practice at 5 o'clock. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. We'll have a soup supper potluck at 5.30 p.m., followed by our communion worship service, Ash Wednesday service, at 6.30 p.m. In the congregation this week, today is Keith Kunkel's birthday. Monday, Crystal McVicker's. Wednesday, well, it's George Washington's birthday. This is President's Day tomorrow, of course. 
and Friday, Nate Vanderlee's birthday. Thank you for joining me for worship. The Lord bless and keep you always. Amen.